Good morning. The Ten Commandments. They seem so small, simple. After all, God on Mount Sinai could have given an entire legal code. I mean, just consider for a moment the legal code of the United States. It would fill more than this church. Or the code of canon law in the church. Over a thousand pages. And yet we receive only ten commandments. Now maybe one of the most interesting part about the Ten Commandments is how few people, even though they are only ten, know about them. Or know them, period. For example, just think for a moment. Next Tuesday, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm getting more into my faith and I was wondering, could you list the Ten Commandments for me? I've been trying to think of them all day. Good Catholics, could you do it? Better yet, could you list them in order? So as I thought about what to do this Sunday, and like everybody else, want to get out into this beautiful day, I thought, why hear me ramble on when we can just have a select few of you come up and try this, see how it works. All the other masses laughed. Maybe the 11 o'clock's way more serious. The waking up late serious people. So before we get into the Ten Commandments, one really must condition it, especially during this Lenten season, with how we got to where we're at and the answer of how we get out of it that's here and always been here. First off, how is it that you, the people of God, don't even know the Ten Commandments? I mean, if you think about the wealth of theology that exists over the last 2,000 years, the bare minimum would be to know the Ten Commandments. How is it that the people of God do not know the Ten Commandments. Now before you sit there and say to yourself, I've been a bad Catholic, let me alleviate you of the burden. It's our fault. You would think that the clergy 
could at least communicate something as simple and as foundational as the Ten Commandments to their people. But over the last 50 years, we have been involved in nothing but anything but that. Or I should say everything but that. It reminds me of why the Lord is so unbelievably upset with the money changers and the sellers of the temple. It's not the money changers' fault that they're there. It's the leading hierarchy of those, so to speak, religious leaders. They're the ones who have allowed and encouraged it. Why? Well, we hear it throughout the gospel. Money. Power. Prestige. Influence. As the Lord says, they widen their phylacteries. They love seats of honor and the salutation rabbi. But do not follow their example. They were selling in the temple because they wanted profit. They were worried about the building of it over 46 years because it cost money. And nobody trusted in the God that was standing right before them. Sound familiar? And don't get me wrong, we have had many tremendous clergy bishops and one of the greatest popes ever to live in John Paul II. Archbishop Sheen and the like. But many others have sold the people of God out for the bank account for political power, for prestige and opulence, and in the worst case scenario, service to the devil, which we've seen in the scandal. We weren't teaching the basics of the faith, we were gallivanting around with new programs. Let us worry about the climate. Let us talk about social justice, but anything but morality. Wow us. Build for us. But God forbid we talk about the cross. And so we have failed you. And now we begin to rebuild upon the faithful remnant. 
And it doesn't start with some program. God the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit gave us what we need, and it is very simple. I love the line when he says, Thank you, Father, for revealing this to the simple and the childlike. Because the learned, in all of their great wisdom and arrogance, distort everything and make it so unbelievably complicated even to understand that the good people of God are left completely aloof as to what the preacher said over the last 50 years. You remember it in the 80s and 90s, don't you? I do. Walking away. Dad, what in the heck was that all about? I don't know, son. It's simple. And it begins with repentance and confession. You cannot understand moral infraction and bear it in your soul properly until you understand the unfathomable mercy of God. But the devil has done a number on that one too, as well as the clergy over the last 50 years. The amount of churches that I have seen as I have traveled this country speaking, their confessionals are filled with chairs and trash. That little line in the bulletin. Confession. Call for an appointment. We can barely get people into the line. And then you got to go through the secretary that goes to the secretary that goes to the secretary and then maybe father's available. Can't wait for that. So let us begin with confession. I just simply would love to dispel some myths and lies that the devil has polluted the hearts and minds of the good and Catholic lay faithful. First is the lie of the confessional line. Somebody will see me standing again this week in the confessional line and they will say to themselves, my gosh, what is that person up to? They are in the confessional line every week. False. The truth of the matter is, is that you are the only one that knows you're in the confessional line again. Don't believe me? What did you have for breakfast last Tuesday? <laughs> we don't remember these things. We care about ourselves in that confessional line because we're the ones who know that we are there. It's the same thing with sin in the confessional. We're the ones that are worried about the sin that we're going to confess because 
we've been filled with the lie by the evil one that this sin is so unbelievably unique and like no one else's sin ever to exist in the history of humanity that if you actually revealed it to Father, all 400 people in the church are staring at you again in the confession line and they know your name, Bob. Not true. And if you happen to be somebody in the church that's actually studying the confession line, come and see me in confession. Line number two. We touched on it. My sin is beyond all other sins, and Father is going to remember it, and the next time he sees me, he's going to be like, Hey! Oh! Wrong. I may have the calcula calculations wrong. I'm no mathematician, but I was doing some research, generalities of how many, how long I've been in the confessional, how long I've been ordained, and how many confessions on average I hear during the time that I'm in there. I have heard somewhere in the vicinity of 70,000 confessions. Okay, so, little humility here. Father Waltz is not good or even great at remembering names. So I've been here for 13 years, and sometimes I still find it hard to remember all 3,000 people in this parish, as you can imagine. If I can't even remember your name sometimes, how on earth am I going to remember anybody's sin after 70,000 confessions? I know it's like half a million sins. It's just simply not possible, and nor does a seasoned confessor care. The greatest joy of my life is praying absolution over a soul and freeing them from sin. In the loneliness and darkest times of my priesthood, confession has been one of the greatest solaces that there is. Because that's why I was ordained. To restore your dignity and to set you free. And I love it. The third lie of the confessional is that I have to bring these things over and over and over again. I'm bringing the same old thing, Father, every single time. I go to confession every two weeks, sometimes every week. And as your spiritual father, for the good of your own practice of confession, I humbly say to you, I too, many times, bring the same things over and over and over again. Because like yourself, I am a weak man and a sinner who needs a savior just like you. But I also know Jesus very well 
And he loves more than anything to forgive you over and over and over for the same thing. Right, moms and dads? Sometimes the children just seem to do it all the time. Why did you do this again? But I forgive you because I love you unconditionally. I have no words to be able to truly describe what the Lord has revealed to me in my prayer over the years. But I can tell you this, that he loves when souls come to confession more than anything else. He loves to forgive you because you are his real son and daughter. And the sooner that we realize that we are his family and that's what this is all about, the better off everyone's going to be. You need not feel shame. We are fallen and eventually we'll be risen from the dead and glorified, but right now we're fallen. And there is no more understanding person, better friend or father in the entire universe than God. You just need to come and receive his mercy. So, through that prism and within that loving world, let's talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments. Now, in two Sundays, in the fifth Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, I will do a full examination of conscience, which I promise will be shorter than this homily. I will be at all the masses because my associate, Father Crane, will be gallivanting on a ski trip in Whitefish. Someone has to work around here. No, he'll be with the assistant chaplains. It's good. Does great work. But from now till then, I just want you to reflect a little bit. Not in shame, not in discouragement, but out of the notion that you can be forgiven for anything and that God loves you and that God wants to forgive you more than anything, but you first need to know the diagnosis. So this is our spiritual analysis or physical this third Sunday of Lent. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other strange gods before me. Okay, now, we're thousands of years after this. <laughs> I'm assuming no one has a statue of Zeus on the wall. If you do, come talk to me. But there are many, many, many other gods, way more than the old days that exist now in our culture, okay? And there are some that, you know, bubble to the top of the list. First and foremost, if you want to know what they are, it's as simple as asking yourself the question, where do you spend your time, talent, and treasure? Because that's what we worship. Now, I get it, family, spouse, those types, you know, the home. We need certain things in place. But, for example, Apple, and maybe the droid too, unwillingly, uh, most likely, has given us a little bit of an aid. So this, you know, thing that we call the cell phone in our pocket, every Sunday, 
it texts me or something, this little thing pops up and it says, Justin, your screen time this week was up 22%. I'm like, what the, what was I doing? You know, or it's been down 15%. Um, you know, okay. Well, you got it right there because that little sucker is like, it's neither here nor there, but can become a false god. I mean, it's not the cell phone, right? I mean, my dad had a cell phone in like 1989, 91. You know, he was a salesman and brought this thing home and it was this bag phone you'd like strung across your your shoulder and it had this huge massive phone in it with a cord and a big old antenna and if you were maybe like up in the Rocky Mountains you got reception. That was a cell phone. Then we migrated to the flip phone, right Generation X? Remember that? That was really cool because it was smaller, had the little antenna that you pulled out and then there was that, what was it, T90 texting or whatever it was. But none of you young people know how cool that was, right? And then we got these things. And I don't know what this thing is, but it is not a cell phone. It is a key to a world that is very unhuman and is doing, in certain quadrants, very terrible things to humanity. And so we need to be very careful with this powerful tool that is so conveniently in our pocket. I wonder, as St. John had his visions of revelation, if he didn't, as he saw people worshiping false gods, look at all of us. I mean, imagine billions of people staring at this device. and You would swear that it would be a false god. And so where do you spend your time, talent, and treasure? And where do you give your allegiance, right? I mean, politics, come on! Republican, Democrat, I don't care. I love the United States of America. I serve this country. But this country or no party is my God. I belong to the kingdom of God on earth, which is the Catholic Church, and Jesus Christ is my king. A president will not save you, a party will not save you, a country will not save you. They have all come and gone throughout history, dust in the wind, as will this, in some point in time. He and his kingdom is forever. Stop putting your hope in false gods and movements. They will always disappoint you and rattle your life with undue stress and anxiety. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For many this is habitual. This is a mortal sin. GD, JC, oh my G. This is the name that loves you. This is the name that created you. This is the name that holds all of the created order in existence. This is the name that the choirs by the trillions of angels fall down and worship at the very mention of. To give you an idea of why it's sinful, gentlemen, think of your wives. If someone were to use their name in a derogatory sense like they use God's. Well, Betty, that whore. Or wives, your husbands. Or parents, your sons and daughters. 
we would be furious, hurt, and outraged. And we are sinners. This is the Holy Trinity. Would you cuss with your father's name? Would you cuss with your mother's name? Honor thy father and thy mother. I just want to say one thing about this because this is about family. And since the passing of my dear mother, I have come to realize that family is one of the most sacred words in the natural world. Really, all of what we're doing here today in, through, and with God is all about family. Eternity will be all about all of us being family. If you have a disagreement, even if it's not your fault, if you have a grudge, a wound, a feud, something unresolved, Get reconciled today. Yes, I agree. Out of the mouths of babes comes wisdom. Because this is what it looks like. Ten years go by, twenty years go by, thirty years go by, and then somebody gets sick, and then they die. You can't get the time back. It's gone forever. And whatever relationship that you left or they left this earth with is what you are stuck with for the rest of your life. God has given us each other to love and cherish each other. Love and cherish each other. My dear people, if you can't even love your own family, and I'm not talking about disagreements and fights and those things, that's just normal. But if you can't even love and forgive your own, how can you possibly love God? Do it today. Thou shalt not kill. I was a little nervous about this one, but I felt obliged to ask if anybody has murdered anyone, please raise their hand. Good, we can move on. You know, under this commandment, there's some big things. Obviously, abortion, murder. Uh, if that has happened to you, ladies, it is not your fault. You were backed into a corner of some sort that you couldn't get out of. Please come to me. You will find nothing but compassionate, fatherly mercy. Jesus just wants to heal your heart. He doesn't hold you responsible. Your baby is in heaven. Let's just get it straight with God. And if you know anyone, please go and tell that woman about God's love and mercy. A confession will heal so much. But then there is also supporting abortion, voting for those who support abortion. Care what anybody says, they're killing babies. You can't support them in any way. Substance abuse. But then there's envy. I just want to say just a tish about that. 
Envy is different than jealousy. Jealousy like looks at the boat in the neighbor's garage and says, man, I want that boat so bad and I don't have it and I wish he did and I did. Envy says, I'm going to go kill that man and take his boat and then I'm going to burn his house down to the ground so nobody knows I killed him. I hate him for having it. Okay, now nobody's doing that. Well, sometimes you see it in the news. But this is how it works with us and it's really sneaky. This envy thing is like a green little snake that slithers around the hearts of good people. It goes like this, because it's usually dealing with kids. Little Susie is a much better athlete than my little Kelly. And they might actually be friends. But I think my little Kelly should be better than little Susie and should be on that team and in place of Susie. And so I'm going to go around and I'm going to badmouth little Susie and her mother and her parents to every single other family that there is. So they think less of Susie. And then they go to the coach and they say, I don't think that Susie should be there. I think Kelly should be there. Or we stir up all the stuff in their little kids' minds so little Susie gets exiled outside of the community only because she happens to be better than Kelly and Kelly's mom and daddy don't like it. And so they don't kill her, but they kill her friendships, her reputation, her relationships with teachers, the whole social media platform Oh yeah, we know all about that, don't we? What God gave you, in the way that he gave it to you, be satisfied with, and love, and be grateful. What one family has, another may not. But that family also may not have something that the other family doesn't. And this facade that we all put up for everybody to see, <laughs> we all know it's a house of cards. Every family has their issues. Every family has their blessings. Love each other. Be fair to each other. Treat each other with dignity and respect. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I promise this is the last long one. The other three are quite easy. Obviously, adultery. Everybody knows what it is. It's a terrible moral sin. Unfortunately, this diabolical culture has done a fabulous job in brainwashing a lot of our good young Catholic people and even our good Catholic parents. So, I wish to be extraordinarily clear this Sunday. First off, in or outside of marriage, outside of medical reasons, birth control is a mortal sin. If you are using birth control for birth control reasons, it is a mortal sin. Mortal sin being identified as grave matter in which you die in that sin, you have the potential to be condemned to hell. Like I said, run the bad news side of things right now. Contraception is a mortal sin. 
Living together before you're married is a mortal sin. Parents, you don't need to be horrible and nasty about this. You may actually be quite kind and polite. They are adults now. They're going to make their own decisions. But they at least need to know where you stand. And it can easily be said by just saying, we raised you better than this, and this is disappointing and displeasing to God. We will never stop loving you, but this is a mortal sin. No, we're not coming over to your home. No, you cannot sleep in the same bedroom when you come to ours. It's a mortal sin. Getting married outside the church as a Catholic without the proper permissions is a mortal sin. You cannot go to the wedding. It is participating in the mortal sin. I don't care what any other priest tells you. Put logic together. They're in entering into an invalid marriage. Therefore, they are not marriage. We call that what? A sacrilege, because it's a mockery of real marriage, which is a mortal sin. And therefore, you're showing up to celebrate the mortal sin of the couple being married. So if we take it to the extreme, would you show up uh, and witness a killing and celebrate that with a nice bottle of Dom Perignon? No, you would not. Any other cleric that would like to debate it with me, I welcome the challenge, please, publicly. You will hear the truth here. Fornication, having sex outside of marriage is a mortal sin. Young people, hear me. And older single people, I know it is a tremendous temptation, especially when you're young. As I've said before, you look good. Get to be in your 40s, and that's so hard. <laughs> but this is what I want you to consider. You say, I'm in a relationship, and I love this person. Okay, I believe you. If you love somebody, would you send them to hell? No. And so whatever party it is, maybe both, in this quote-unquote loving relationship that is tempting the other person, swooning the other person, pressuring the other person into this act of sex before marriage is saying this in this unconditional love for you. Yes, I love you. I love you so much I want to do something with you that's going to send you to hell. That's how much I love you. So let's decipher the code a little bit. No, actually, I don't love you at all. I'm in lust with you. And I want to use you for my personal pleasure. Even if it means that we might go to hell. And the act is so bonding that when the relationship doesn't work out, all of these poor young people are going through a divorce, not once, two, three, four, however, part, however many partners they've had, tearing apart their soul. Because we all know every high school relationship lasts. <laughs> Active, physical, homosexual sexuality is a mortal sin. Homosexual marriage is a mortal sin and a sacrilege.
It does not mean we discriminate against people who have tendencies toward homosexual inclinations. As a matter of fact, those gay men and women who are living chaste, celibate lives, trying to follow the gospel because they love Jesus, are some of the holiest people that there are. God loved them. Because their fellow brothers and sisters in the lifestyle hate them for it. But they, they're holy. And finally, personal sexual pleasure done with oneself. The Catechism states that it is summarizing a very easy and common sin to fall into for the majority of human beings from Adam until now. Pray, do the best you can to be pure with your body. But in all of the cases of any of these things, God's heart of mercy stands open to forgive us any time we fall. The very final one, which I quadrant off because it's not a sexual sin like the rest, is pornography. And I say that because whenever the picture or film or whatever the thing is was done, it was an act of sexuality. But once it's converted to ones and zeros, we now know that it is a drug. It's a digital sexual illusion. If you want to know more about it, go to fightthenewdrug.com. Tell you all about the brain sciences, reprogramming brains actually, especially of our younger people. Because it's different than real sexuality and so it's rewiring them. And this, you want to talk about a pandemic? This is the real pandemic. Particularly for men, it is tremendously challenging, but it is also a growing challenge we are reading from the scientific research for women. So it is neither a men or a woman thing. It's a pornography thing. A digital drug in your homes. Now, men who are struggling with this are not bad people. They are good fathers, good husbands, and good men. But it's not like you got to go down to the dirty shop and buy the magazine any longer. It's right there on that thing in your pocket called the phone and on your computer screen. He's sneaky. The loser down below, that is. And so there are tools that we need to implement in our families to make sure you are protected. This isn't a game. The evil one wants your marriage, he wants your children, your grandchildren, all of it. And he's got a weapon like no other. And so there's a program called Covenant Eyes. Now, I want to preference this with this. Husbands and wives. So maybe the wife is looking at pornography, maybe the husband is, maybe neither are, maybe one or the other. In your sacred bond of marriage, which is the safest or should be place on earth, 
your partner and teammate, you need to fight Lucifer together. So wives, if your husband in tremendous nobility and humility comes to you and says, I have a problem with this, I fall to it easily, then your response is not, I cannot believe that you would look at that smut. What kind of man are you? You're the father of our children? You've been unfaithful to me. That's the answer that Lucifer would like you to give. In your magnanimous, beautiful, feminine, motherly wife heart, which frankly is the most beautiful thing on earth, the Blessed Mother's being the most beautiful of all creation. That is to be received with mother bear protection. Thank you for telling me. You don't need to explain anymore. We're going to put covenant eyes on the computer, which you should do anyway. Mom and wife holds the code, watches all of the filtering. If somebody has a fall in the family, it's as simple, I'm praying for you, I hope you went to confession. An open conversation about it because it's a drug. It is not sexual, it's a drug. Same thing goes with husbands on the reverse. Maybe you're the ones that should hold the code if necessary, but whoever is immune to that thing holds the code. Covenant eyes on all of your computers. Secondly is this danged phone. Now, it's a little bit more complicated, but you can get online and you can read about how to lock internet off your phone. You can have the rest of the phone, but you can't have internet if that's where you're falling. Don't lie to yourself. It's not going to change. Oh, I'll get better. You won't. You'll get more addicted to the drug. Go to fightthenewdrug.com and you will see how it's going to rewire your brain. No different than heroin. Actually, as a matter of fact, the studies show that it works a lot like methamphetamines. And so take the internet off your phone again. You need some loving person, your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad to put in the code and boom, it's gone. If you need updates, they open it up, you update your phone, you lock it down again. And then people say when I tell them this, they hyperventilate, <laughs> the internet, how will I live? And I, I mean, Generation X was on down at least. We, we, we didn't have it. We had a green screen computer. You remember Oregon Trail? Right? And that floppy disk? Gosh, that's at a museum now in the Smithsonian. You know, and maybe it ate it sometimes. We live forever without internet. Why do we need it on our phones? Everyone, we really need to sit back and seriously consider how programmed we are. Like crazy programmed. They know what they're doing with our brains. This isn't like, hey, new technology. This is a lot of psychology going in to how they can make more what? Money. It's all about money. It's always about money. Be noble. 
And if you have to, get the internet off your phone. Wives and husbands, you are in my daily, all of you are always in my daily prayers, but I pray that you find the strength and the holiness and the humility and the love for each other to have this conversation and then to have it with your children, which is the last thing I'll say about it. Moms and dads, if you don't think that your sons and daughters, even when they're little, seven, eight, nine, have been exposed to pornography, and by about 12 on, if they're not monitored, are looking at pornography on a regular basis, then you have no idea what's going on. You need to protect your families. Yeah, is it going to be a fight? You bet. But you're not fighting your kids when they get upset. You're fighting Lucifer's hold on them, and you're fighting for their salvation. It's worth the sacrifice. The rest of the commandments really are quite clear. Thou shalt not steal. Don't take anything. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. Especially fishing stories and hunting stories. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Be satisfied with what you have. But you want to know what the greatest sin against Jesus is? It's not about rules. It's about relationship. And when you really get to know him, you'll understand it. The greatest sin is that after all he has done, he stands with a heart full of mercy and love for you. He never stops watching you and calling out to you. And he waits in the confessional with the arms open to absolve you from anything as many times as you ask. The greatest sin is not repenting and coming to confession.